we are Centerpoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Good morning. If you can uh, take your seats. And we're going to start the preach now. Just want to reiterate uh, Barney's welcome. Um, if it is your first time here at Centrepoint, you are so welcome. We're delighted that you're here this Sunday morning, that you braved your way through the, through the torrential rain and you made it here. It's funny when you have like, a great week of weather, like, you just get into a habit. You just assume, like, I'm sure a few of you just came out with your swimming shorts and just, like, what's going on? Quickly um, having to find where the coat is again. Right, so um, Barney mentioned this as well. We're doing a new series. We're, this is the third week into it, and it's a series called Inspired. And we're basically looking at different Bible characters uh, throughout the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we are um, learning as much as we can from them, not just their successes, their moments of uh, amazing faith and endurance and courage, but also their failures. And it's so encouraging when we read through the Bible and we see how God's plan unfolds despite our failings, that our sovereign God still makes a way. And so we can learn so much, sometimes even more from the mistakes of our heroes um, than the successes. So um, today we are looking at Abraham. And uh, Abraham is, is a bit of a giant, a spiritual giant. I don't know how tall he was. Uh, but he's a bit of a spiritual giant in the Bible. And it says in uh, Romans 4, he was the father of the faithful and the friend of God in Isaiah 41, 8 and James 2, 23. So to be uh, recorded in the Bible that you were a friend of God is pretty good on your CV. Okay, so his life was so significant, actually, that he is uh, mentioned more uh, in the New Testament uh, as an Old Testament character. He's mentioned the most in the New Testament. He's referred to the most. And a big portion of the book of Genesis is dedicated to his story. And we're going to read all of that. No, we're not. Okay. (laughs) But... Just to say, we are going to be reading through a fair bit of it. And if you don't have a Bible with you, then we do have some Bibles here um, that uh, our brilliant Connect team in yellow T-shirts will hand out. It might even be that actually you don't own a Bible. And therefore, uh, if you haven't got one with you today, just raise your hand and then our Connect team will get um, a Bible to you. Cool. So let's start. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 12. Okay, so the previous chapters, there's a couple of chapters that um, just um, go through Abraham's genealogy, and then we get to Genesis 12, and it, it just starts with a bang. Let's go. So, Genesis 12, the call of Abraham. Actually, I should just point out that Abraham was known as Abraham, okay, and uh, his wife Sarah was known as Sarai, and um, their names change, but I'm going to refer to them the whole time as Abraham and Sarah. So, the call of Abraham. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. 
I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So it's a pretty good blockbuster entrance, isn't it? You can imagine on the screen watching your favourite movie, that being the, the sort of intro title, a bit like Star Wars coming down. This amazing promise. And Abraham, he's, he's basically asked to leave everything he knows. Okay, everything that he found security in, um, his home, uh, family, everything. And God calls him to a new land. Okay, and he says, you're going to obey me, follow me, but you're going to leave everything else behind. And uh, throughout Abraham's story, actually, God continues to speak to him and give him promises. And so God then backs up this amazing um, promise, kind of fleshes it out with a bit more detail. And um, he basically says in chapter 15, he then says, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. So he's fleshing out the original promise. Abraham, uh, Abraham at this point is a little bit worried because he hasn't had any children and he's thinking, Okay, so someone in my herdsman, someone in, in my tribe, one of my workers is going to have to uh, basically uh, be the heir to my estate. And God says to him, no, a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, first of all, like being in Guildford, if, you, if that word was given to me and I was to look out at the stars, I'd, I'd kind of be like, oh, I'm kind of halfway there. Uh, see about four stars. But you, you know when you go out to... Uh, I have two children, by the way. You know when you go out into the countryside and you look out and there's no surrounding lights, there's no city lights, and then you're just reminded, wow... You just see the stars. I mean, these Odeon lights don't really represent that that well. But imagine just seeing just too many stars to be able to even try and count. What an amazing picture that is and what an amazing promise that God spoke over Abraham. So 10 years pass. Okay, Abraham and Sarah, they've heard this word, this promise, but yet Sarah hasn't conceived and they're starting to get a bit twitchy. So they take matters into their own hands and they try to fulfill the prophecy over Abraham's life. Basically, they, they try to take, attempt to do what is humanly possible to fulfill what was only ever intended to be divinely possible. So Sarah tells Abraham to sleep with her maid, Hagar. And Hagar promptly... Uh, falls pregnant, and then gives birth to Ishmael. Okay, despite this, despite them taking matters into their own hands, and it's quite a disastrous um, taking matters into your own hands, God still fulfills his promise. And he still speaks to them. And he promises yet again in an, uh, another moment, that's in two more moments, actually, where he speaks to them and reminds them, I will give you a son that Sarah 
were born. And so we read this in Genesis chapter 21, the birth of Isaac. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. A hundred years old. That's crazy. A hundred years old. Sometimes we can read, we can, for some of you, it might be the first time you've ever heard about Abraham. For others, you've heard about Abraham many times. And it starts to get a bit like, oh, yeah, he's a hundred years old. Like, yeah, of course, a hundred. A hundred years old. Crazy. So as Abraham holds Isaac in his hands, he's not just holding his son, but he is also holding God's goodness, his faithfulness, his grace, his sovereignty. He is holding the fulfillment of a promise that God had made. Then we get to this moment when Abraham is really known as this great man of faith. In Genesis 22, Abraham is tested. And it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, Here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I go and go with the boy over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he carried himself, carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, 
I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Wow. Abraham has shown remarkable faith. And it is hard to comprehend, to try and get your head around being able to sacrifice your son. As a father, I can't, I can't comprehend it. I can't fathom it. But even if you're not a parent this morning, just imagining sacrificing someone you love, it's hard to even go there. Even the thought alone is hard to dwell on. And I imagine if you ever do think anything, like, could I ever do that? You'd swiftly want to move away from that thought because it's, it's horrendous, the thought of it. The thing is, and some of you might have thought this while hearing it read out, is this is what God went through when he sent his son for us. And it's amazing to that realisation when you go, wow, when you try and put yourself in that position for a moment and you can't even think about it, and yet God did for us and he gave his son for us to take our place. It's an incredible sacrifice that God made and Jesus made on our behalf. What strikes me about this is how long Abraham longed for a son. How long him and Sarah longed for Sarah to conceive. And how precious, therefore, Isaac was when he arrived. The answer to years and years of hoping and longing, praying, waiting, day by day by day. And now he's here. But God is saying, I want you to give him back. Again, it's hard for us to put ourselves in that situation, but... There's other things. I, when I was reading through this, I was like, well, what would I really struggle with? And the thing that came to my mind was, well, my, being a musician. So I work as a musician. That's my job. That's been my job for too many years now. I feel like I'm getting old. But, <laughs> you know, a good 15 years I've been dedicating my life day in, day out. What if God then suddenly said to me, I want you to give that back? I want you to give that. I want you to sacrifice that. And I'm sitting here preparing this. I'm like, I don't know if I could do that. I'd find that really hard. And I imagine there's other things that you, you could think of right now. It might not be career-related. It might be a possession. It might be something that you've longed for for so long. And when, when you finally get it, and then God says, what if God said, I want you to give it back? Could you do it? This is the kind of thing we're dealing with here. And what's amazing is Abraham trusts God implicitly. Even when it seems to go against everything that's been promised. It doesn't make sense. You've promised me descendants as numerous as the stars. Yet you want to take Isaac away. That doesn't make sense. But yet Abraham trusted in God. 
And this is what puts him in this. um, There's a passage in Hebrews that we're going to look through now, Hebrews 11. And it's kind of known as the Hall of Faith, a little play on the Hall of Fame. I don't know who came up with it. Someone at some point did. And um, yeah, the Hall of Faith. And we're going to read through this, and this is a bit of a summary of what we've kind of gone through through Genesis. But I'm just going to take out some points that I feel that we can apply to ourselves and learn from. Let's read Hebrews 11 first. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and an assurance about what we do not see. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, Even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is, is, I love this phrase, and he is as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And we're going to skip to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God has said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. Okay, the first thing I want to look at is his obedience, Abraham's obedience. I love the phrase, even though he did not know where he was going, he still went. Imagine receiving a letter in the post that says, you have received your inheritance. You are to sell everything you own, sell your house. You are to hand in your notice at your job and you're to go. But you just don't know where. Imagine that. Imagine taking that step of obedience, of trusting God. Okay, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to trust God. It's often that first step that is the hardest, taking that first step of faith. And Abraham did it. It says that Abraham was looking forward to the city where the foundations whose architect and builder was God. When the architect is God, if he calls you, it's going to be good. When God is the builder, it's going to be good. There will be many of you that are already feeling a call. It might be a call into an area of leadership. It might be a call into a different job. You might be feeling a bit twitchy. You're feeling like actually... God's calling me to something. If God is calling you, it's going to be good because he is the architect and he is the builder. But sometimes you just have to take that first step. And we see throughout Abraham's story, once he takes that step, God's with him the whole way. Even when he makes mistakes, God is with him 
and he's speaking to him. He brings along, there's a passage in Genesis where uh, three men come to Abraham, prophets, who say to him, you are going to, this time next year, you are going to have a son. Sarah is going to conceive this time next year. When you step out in obedience, God doesn't just leave you there. He goes with you and he brings along friends that will support you and help guide you in your journey. I really want to honour um, Chris and Catherine, who this time last year were making that step of obedience by actually leaving what they knew, what was familiar to them, and stepping out to something that was totally new for them and their family. And I want to honour them for that, that they made that step of obedience. And there'll be others that God is calling to take a step of obedience, taking a step of faith. And we can learn so much from Abraham about how to do that. And often it's just taking that first step. What I love about this Hebrew summary in, in Hebrews 11 is you could imagine starting, you, you would start like with the blockbuster bit, you know, he was willing to sacrifice his son. But no, the writer starts off where it all starts off, and it's that first step of obedience. And that is why the writer in 11, I'm sure, Hebrews 11, recorded that and started that off, because he, he took a step of obedience into something he didn't know. What I also note about Hebrews 11 is it doesn't actually list any of the failings. Abraham made failings. Obviously, they took matters into their own hands in terms of Hagar, the maidservant, giving birth to Ishmael. But also, there's moments in the story that we didn't have time to look at where Abraham, this is a bit crazy, but Abraham, during a famine, went to Egypt and he was so worried for his own life that he asked his wife Sarah to lie for him and say that he, uh, she was his sister, not his wife, because he feared for his own life. And he was prepared, actually, self-preservation kicked in and he was prepared, actually, to send his wife because he feared for his own life. And when you read that, you go, well, gosh, Abraham, you're not that inspiring. <laughs> I was reading that bit and I was like, right, I wonder if I could choose someone else. Is it too late for his last night? <laughs> kind of. Um, but yeah, that's crazy. And it wasn't just once. He did it again later on in the story. He does it again and he gets Sarah to lie. Both times God intervenes. In his sovereignty and in his grace, God intervenes. But Abraham made mistakes. He's a man of faith, but there was moments where he didn't have faith. And actually, he didn't trust God. And actually, the situation took hold of him, okay, with the famine and the fear took hold, and he took matters into his own hands. But in that phrase in Hebrews, it says that Abraham looked forward. And I think, actually, in order to look forward, sometimes you have to look back. And there's a bit of a saying that, you know, don't look back. That's what culture would tell us, you know, don't look back, just look forward. But I'd argue actually it is good to look back. Because when you look back, you see time and time again when God comes through for you. Time and time again when you've made mistakes, God comes through. And you see that journey. You see God's provision. The Lord will provide. 
you see it time and time again. Me and Nick, and my wife Nicola, we try and make a habit of each year when we go on our summer holiday, we try and just write down and list all the things where God has come through. And all the times when like, we came short here, maybe it's financially, maybe we made a wrong decision financially, or maybe it was some other area of our lives, and, and we make note of where God comes through. And so often, we fill a page, and actually it's because we looked back, we saw, and it helped us to look forwards. So I encourage you to look back and make lists of where God has come through. There's a bit in Hebrews 11 that really stood out, and it says this. It says, Abraham embraced the promises. He embraced them. He kept them close. He cherished the promises made over him. He guarded them. I think it's really cool that, again, the writer of Hebrews 11 chose to use those words, embraced. Embrace the promises. Here's the question. This is one of the main questions I want to ask this morning. Are you embracing the promises made over your life? And do you believe these promises to be true? You might be thinking, okay, well, I haven't received a word like that, a promise like that. But I'd argue you've received many promises and they're all recorded. And what I want to do is just read them out. They're not going to be on the screen because I want to read the words over you. And feel free, like, if it helps, to shut your eyes and just let these words wash over you. Let these promises from God wash over you. In John 8, verse 36, it says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. John 14, verse 1 to 3, says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have not told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. John 11, verse 25 to 26 I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And it says after that, do you believe this? Deuteronomy 31 verse 8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Isaiah 43, verse 2. When, the, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burnt. The flames will not set you ablaze. And John 14, verse 15 to 16. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And that's referring to the Holy Spirit. Those are amazing promises. Are you embracing those promises? Are you living in the freedom that those promises give you? The last thing I wanted to look at from Hebrews 11 was this bit. It says, 
Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. I think, where does that reasoning come from? It's not like Abraham has this whole history to look back on of people being raised from the dead. You know, we, ha- we have the Bible, we have, we have the story of Lazarus, we have Jesus ultimately raising from the dead. But what does Abraham have? Actually, he has no text to refer to. So where does this come from? Where's this reasoning coming from? I find it really fascinating. Where did he get this idea from? It takes a crazy amount of faith to reason that, to reason something that you haven't seen before. And I love the word reasoned. It tells me there's been a real internal dialogue going on. There's been a bit of a wrestle. Yet he's come to this conclusion that if he sacrificed his son, that God would raise him from the dead. How did he come up with that conclusion? I believe it's because he knew God. He knew the love of God. He knew the character of God. He knew God was good. He trusted implicitly in God's sovereignty. And he had seen the first-hand power of God, that God can breathe life into any situation, that nothing is too hard for God. So in Abraham's thinking, well, why not raise him back from the dead? Why not? The thing that also struck me about this reasoning is he must have known his standing before God. Because I don't think you could come to that reasoning without knowing who you are before God. You could easily imagine, like, with the mistakes he made, actually, because he mucked it up. I mean, he royally made mistakes. He took matters into his own hands sometimes treated his wife horrifically. And you can imagine, well, surely with those mistakes, those massive failings, surely shame would take over him. And he, surely he would feel like, you know what, I can't even come before God. Like, I can't come to that conclusion. I have no right to come to any kind of reasoning that God would want to do anything good for me. Why would God do something for me? Why would God still want to use me after the mistakes I've made? It'd be so easy to come to that reasoning. But yet he knew who his God was and he knew his standing before God, that he was accepted, that he is loved, that he is part of God's plan and he trusted that plan because God was the architect of it. So here's the question this morning. Do you know you're standing before God? And do you trust in it? Do you trust that you are accepted by God? Because shame sometimes can help us, helps the wrong word, can cause us to come up with the wrong reasoning. We can go mistake plus mistake equals I can no longer come before God. 
mistake plus mistake equals I can no longer expect anything good. Mistake plus mistake means this hardship I'm going through is because of my mistakes, which is an absolute lie. Mistake plus mistake equals I have no right to hope. And that is wrong. And Abraham shows us this, and this is why he is an inspiration. Because though he made mistakes, he still reasoned that God would come through for him. And say, if you've got incorrect reasoning this morning, how can you start to have correct reasoning? And I would put it to you that it is to start embracing the promises. Those promises that I read out before, a small amount of the promises that are in the Bible that you can read over, over and over and over again. I have to say, this year, I think, has probably been one of my hardest. And I say that knowing that many people go through a lot worse, but it's been a tough year. And what I've learned is that I need to embrace the promises that God speaks over me. And uh, I need to live in the freedom and the joy that he gives. <laughs> Don't let the season that you're going through shape your faith. But let your faith shape the season that you're going through. Amen? Amen. Amen. Can we have the band back up? We're going to start singing about these promises and we're going to proclaim these promises that God speaks over us. And we're going to do that together. And I want you to, oh, well, I encourage you to actually bring maybe these mistakes that you have that you're holding on to at the moment, I encourage you to bring them before God, knowing that Jesus has dealt with them. Now, I really feel like there's going to be a hall of, hall of faith for all of us that's going to be recorded, these moments of successes. And I can imagine, actually, um, one day coming before that and going, oh, yeah, but what about this? What about this? And the person who whoever God's got, maybe God himself, scribing these victories of faith. It's just like, what mistakes? What mistakes? Because Jesus has dealt with them forever. Forever. Thrown into the sea. You are made righteous. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are made right with God. So only the successes will be recorded because the mistakes don't matter to God. He's bigger than them. So to conclude, are you confident in your standing with God? I think that's what this morning really boils down to. Do you wonder if God likes you? Do you question whether God loves you? Do you question whether God is good? Just 
want to finish with this, this, this little summary in the ESV study Bible, which just really I, I love. It says, the author indicates that biblical faith is not a vague hope grounded in imaginary, wishful thinking. Instead, faith is a settled confidence that something in the future, something that is not yet seen but has been promised by God will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. Thus, biblical faith is not blind trust in the face of contrary evidence, not an unknowable leap in the dark. Rather, biblical faith is a confident trust in the eternal God who is all-powerful, infinitely wise, eternally trustworthy. The God who has revealed himself in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ, whose promises from generation to generation and who will never leave or forsake his own. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us Sundays, 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.